Lord, we thank you that you're a speaking God. We thank you that you're a present God. We thank you that you're an acting God. And we pray that you would speak and be present and act in our lives today. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. And a couple of weeks ago, we started our series on this, and uh, we're continuing through tonight. And I'm going to read the first few verses. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshunar gate was repaired by Joyada, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besodea. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Malaysia of Gibeon and Jadon of Merinoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates, Uziel, son of Harahaiah. One of the goldsmiths repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler of half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jedeah, son of Harumath, made repairs opposite his house, and Hattush, son of Hashabeneah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Harim, Hashab, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of half, district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The Valley Gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the Dungate. The Dungate was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem. He rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> We were wondering who to get to read it, but it just seemed unfair to get someone else. (laughs) Humans have always built walls. And they've built them to define themselves and to defend themselves. 
The word paradise actually comes from a word meaning walled garden. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the word that is chosen to describe Eden and the word that is used to describe the new heaven, a walled garden. The greatest wall was probably in Babylon in around 6 BC. And it was said that they could have chariot races along the top of it. And it was claimed as one of the original seven wonders of the world. After that, they claimed that the hanging gardens of Babylon were the seven, one of the seven wonders of the world. But you couldn't have a hanging garden unless you had a secure, defining, and defended wall. The oldest city walls in the world probably Jericho's 10,000 years old that came down with the shouts and some blowing trumpets and seven circuits around by the troops. The longest wall is the Great Wall of China, estimated at one time 21,000 kilometers, 13,000 miles. And it's said that it's the only man-made, human-made structure that is visible from space although that's an urban myth because it's not visible from space with the naked eye. And, then, and with uh, you know, powerful telescopes, you can see all sorts of other things too. But anyway, the holiest wall is probably the Western Wall, the remaining part of Herod's temple and a focal point for the Jewish people all around the world. It's the nearest place in the world to the most holy place for them where God once dwelt by his glory in the Holy of Holies. We're thinking about building walls tonight. Now some walls actually need tearing down. There are walls of racism and sexism and ageism and sectarianism and dogmatism, walls between rich and poor, walls that divide. And they need to be done away with. Sir Isaac Newton once said, we build too many walls and not enough bridges. And that's true. But there again, there are some walls that actually need putting up. As I said, a city without walls is not a city, it's just a suburban sprawl. Without walls, it's not defined and it cannot be defended. And the brilliant Christian ethicist Reinhold Niebuhr once wrote this, the fence and the boundary line, the walls are the symbol of the spirit of justice. They set limits upon each man's interest to prevent one from taking advantage of the other. What has been happening in Israel up to this point of the rebuilding of, of the wall is that one group, one nation, surrounding nations, have been taking advantage of the other. And it's imperative that the walls are built to define themselves as the people of Israel, to defend themselves as the people of Israel. But the book of Nehemiah is about Jerusalem's walls that are in ruins. And long before Jerusalem's walls were in ruins, the people of Israel were in ruins. They had let their walls down long before their physical walls were brought down. And they'd gone after idols 
and they'd turn their backs on God or they'd try to have a mishmash of, of God as revealed in Torah uh, as well as all the sensual, physical, fleshly delights that the world had to offer. Essentially, they didn't want to be faithful to God and they let down walls in their own lives and that then God withdrew from them. The enemies came in and took down the physical walls. The crumbling physical walls of Jerusalem are a symbol of their disobedience, of their rejection of God, and of their defeat and their humiliation and ultimately their exile into Babylon. But God in His mercy had brought them back. And they'd been back in the land with Ezra for many years but they'd got on with their own lives whilst the walls remained in ruins. And when Nehemiah, and we heard this a couple of weeks ago, heard that the walls were in ruins, he sought God and then he spoke to the emperor and he was allowed to come back and to help rebuild the walls. Once the walls are built, the city can be established, the people can be secure and the nation can flourish. Book of Proverbs says a person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And as we think this evening around this passage and try to look for what God is saying to us at a very personal level, right up front, we need to ask ourselves the question, are the walls that defend and define me, have they been pulled down? Am I not the person I'm made to be by God? And have I allowed other, other things, enemies, as it were, to climb over the crumbling walls and to do their work in my soul to keep me from being the person God has called me to be and do the things God has called me to do? If walls define and defend, the question for us is what walls have fallen and need to be rebuilt in our lives individually, in our families, in our church life, in our community, in our society, in our nation, and in the nations. What are the walls that God is calling us to see and to build, to define and to defend? Well, I want to just highlight a few simple points this evening. First, if you don't build the wall, no one else will. Who else is going to do it? The walls remain in ruins because no one has bothered to rebuild them. No one has actually said, come on, let's get on with it. And it took Nehemiah hundreds of miles away to be moved by the Spirit of God to come to stir up and to rally the troops to get on with it. The fact is the exiled, exiles had been back for a generation they had re tried to rebuild their own lives, they'd built their own homes, they'd tried to build their own careers, they'd rebuilt their, you know, uh, fields and, and whatever. I've run out of words. They'd been rebuilding stuff for themselves. But they hadn't rebuilt the walls of the city of God. They were still crumbled. Ignominy and shame. And that city, undefined, undefended, the jewel as it were in the nation, whilst that was in that state, they could never prosper. 
Maybe they thought, well, it's not my job. I'm not a wall builder. And they'd hoped that someone would come in who had the skills and would just crack on with it for them. But the walls aren't magically going to build themselves. Over Christmas, we had some terrible storms, you may remember. And uh, we've got a very long fence around the back. I, I, I live in a an old vicarage attached to an old church, and it's got a fence around the back. And in the storms, the fence came down. I rang up the diocese, but essentially the diocese was shut. And I managed to get a message through saying, we haven't got a fence. And they said, we'll try and book someone in to come and do it. And he contacted me and said, it's going to take six weeks. Well, where we live, around the back of where we live, there's all sorts of trouble, often. I've lost count how many times the police have been there. There have been violent assaults. There have been uh, years of trading of drugs and people shooting up and prostitutes plying their trade and so on. It's, it's a very dark and sinister place. The fence is there for defense. <laughs> and we felt vulnerable. But the diocese was shut. It was Christmas. And the fence maker wasn't coming back for six weeks, wasn't coming for six weeks. So Tiffany and I, we became fence makers, fence builders. We did a rubbish job, but we did the best that we could. Out hammering and putting up and tying and what have you. Essentially, it was us or no one. It was us or no one. And sometimes we expect others to do what God requires us to do. There's no one else going to do it. God expects you to Build the walls in your own life. God expects you to defend your and guard your own soul. God expects you to nurture your own spiritual walk with Him. We can't rely on others to come and do it. God requires that of you. Maybe you're the answer to your prayer or the answer to your problem. Maybe broken walls in your life are there and the enemy has climbed in and stolen from you. And God wants you to build the walls. Or maybe God has given you a vision of walls that are broken down in society. And you can see where the walls have come down. And the world, the flesh and the devil have crept in and you can see it. And you've got a burden for it. Or maybe God is saying you're the answer to what he's showing you. And he's showing you that because he's calling you to rebuild that. Nehemiah in Babylon, when he heard the walls were down, was moved. He was appalled. He was, there was this emotional response and a spiritual stirring in his spirit. He thought, something's got to be done. He asked God to help him to do that. He had favor with the emperor, and he ends up getting sent back to get the job done. I wonder in this new season... That God, maybe God has been putting things on your heart, putting seeds there in this previous year of COVID and lockdown off and on. And he's saying, now's the time. That vision that I've given you, now is the time for you to get to work. In your own life, but maybe out there. Rabbi Hillel, who died just as Jesus was born, he was a wonderful man. He's the originator of that well-known phrase, if not me, who? And if not now, when? 
So that's the first thing. If you don't build the wall, who will? And I think God wants to show you the walls in your own life, maybe walls out in society that he wants you to get stuck into and to build. Secondly, we see here in this passage that everyone's a brick in the wall. Nehemiah had come back and at night when there was no one around and he wasn't going to be disturbed, he went and inspected the walls. In chapter 2 we read that. Uh, And then like a good leader, he sees the need and he sets the vision and he rallies the team and they get to on the job and they, they begin to work. And in this passage that uh, I read, just part of it, I read 30 times, 30 times we read of names, of people, or of groups, and it says next to them was so-and-so building that bit, next to them so-and-so building that bit, next to them so-and-so. It wasn't going to be Nehemiah. Nehemiah couldn't do the job on his own. If the job is to be done, if the walls are to be rebuilt, then it's going to take all of them doing their part and building that part in front of their homes. No single person can get the job done, but together they can. And there are all sorts of people here. It's a wonderful list. I encourage you to have a read tomorrow morning. It's an amazing chapter. There are priests and Levites and goldsmiths and merchants, and rulers, and perfume makers. In verse 12 we read about the ruler Shalom's trust fund daughters who are used to having servants look after them and and there they are getting stuck in. I think of them with their fine nails. Hope this isn't a sexist comment. But they're getting stuck in, building the walls. I believe that God is calling people to new and unexpected tasks in this new season they didn't expect to be building the walls the ruler Shalom's daughters they haven't been trained for it they didn't see it coming they didn't expect that they would be in the work line but there they are stuck in and I think this may be a season when God will be putting you in places where you haven't been before you haven't been trained for it so to speak but God has put it on your heart and he's put you in that place and there's work for you to do and I encourage you in this season to be attentive to these things and everyone has a place in the wall and a part to play and a job to do and it's going to take everyone doing their part to see the wall go up there's a very British saying when you call someone a brick he's a real brick and it means that they're strong and reliable and dependable and that expression probably has its or, or, probably originates with King Lycurgus or Lycurgus of Sparta, who was once asked about his city, "Where are your defensive walls?" And he said, "These are Sparta's walls." And he pointed to the soldiers. These are Sparta's walls, and every person a brick. Well. Before the bricks go into the wall, God wants to make you, as it were, a brick for that wall. And I again think God has been preparing you in this past season for the next season of being that brick and that bricklayer in the wall. Then thirdly, we build on the old foundations. 
40 times in this chapter, it says they rebuilt or they repaired. They rebuilt or repaired. They didn't simply start from scratch. They didn't decide, well, we don't like where the old wall was. Let's stick up a new one further in or further out. They built on the old foundations. Why? Because the work had already been done. They had already been dug. They were broad and strong and secure, and that was the place, obviously, to build. They didn't just start anywhere. They didn't move away from the ancient foundations, from the ancient demarcations. And the wall that's going to go up is going to look different than the wall that came down. It's a new wall, but it's in the same place, built on the same foundations. And I think this is really important. In fact, I think it will have been built with the same bricks that are lying around and so on. We've always got to be careful of when new things come up, new ministries, new personalities, uh, new cultural ideologies, paradigm shifts, if they want to move us away from the old foundations, foundations that God has laid, that the apostles have laid, that are recorded and writ in Scripture, the trajectory that God has led the church on by His Spirit. We've always got to be careful the church will look different. The wall will look different. The church will look different in the future. There will be a different language, different style, different idioms, different forms. God will be doing new things, giving us new songs and so on. It's going to look different. It's already looking different under our new leadership and wonderfully different at that. But we build on the old foundations. We don't start again somewhere else. When we took the floor up here, I've been, I've been here a long time, but, so I was here when we took the floor up 21 years ago. And uh, many of you will know that under this, this, there's been a church on this site for well over a thousand years. We carbon dated a, a body that was found here to about 950. Could have been, the church could have been here before then. And over in that area there, there was a Saxon church. Just laid out like that with all the people buried and then wider out from that was a Norman church and then a medieval church but on these foundations this church goes up new paint job, new structures, new extensions, new stage you know, new bands, new vicar kit and all of that but built on the foundations one of the wonderful things, you may not ever have noticed it but do have a look sometime there in the corner is a piece of a Celtic cross shaft, this part of the cross, that had broken off. And we found that built into the wall of the Norman church. The cross has a key foundation and stone built in. We build on the faith as once delivered. It's a new day. We're going to find new ways. But we've got the old foundations. And then th fourthly, I've only got 19 points. Fourthly, the humble are honoured, but the haughty are humbled. In verse 9, it speaks of Rephia, the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, getting his hands dirty. It says he built that bit of the wall, but he's getting his hands dirty. 
Verse 12, Shalom, ruler of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. Verse 18, Hashabia, ruler of half the district of Kela, getting his hands dirty. Verse 19, Binwi, ruler of the other half of the district. These are the rulers, the four rulers of the four districts of Jerusalem get stuck in and are serving. These are important people. They're used to being served but they're showing their quality and their character by serving. These are leaders who lead from the front by serving. Our Lord Jesus would take a towel and wash his disciples' feet. said, as I've washed yours, so you've got to wash one another's. He who would be great in the kingdom of heaven must be least the servant of all. Contrast this with verse 5 where it says, the nobles of Tekoa would not put their shoulders to the work. They're too special. They're too important. They, they want things done for them. They're not going to do anything. In this new season, we can't sit back and let others do it. We, it's all hands to the wall. They go down in history, biblical history, with ignominy because they refused to work. They just wanted a benefit from others. An old friend of mine each year would go to New Wine for two weeks. The second week he would enjoy the worship and the fellowship and the ministry and the teaching and what have you. But he went for two weeks. What did he do the first week? He did the toilets. He was on the toilet team and he was on the car park team. And every year I drive up to speak, you know, I'm speaking. And there he is, welcoming and directing traffic. It's no wonder he's just been made a bishop. He who would be great must be least the servant of all. This is the way of the kingdom. John Wimber said, if you want to find the next church leader, find the one directing the traffic in the car park. And God is calling us in this season to serve to serve and to build for others. Then fifthly, they built the wall in front of their own house. It says this five times, in front of their own house, in front of their own house, in front of their own house. Verse 23 and verse 28 says, the priests made repairs, each in front of their own house. I thought it was a good verse when I was putting up that fence, that was pretty awful. You know, the first instructions on an aeroplane, and maybe we'll get to fly again this year, maybe not, is that in the event of loss of cabin pressure, put your own mask on first, and then you can help others. And they worked in front of their own house, and then we read about others who, having worked in front of their own, went and helped other people. There's a powerful verse in Song of Songs, chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, They made me a keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have neglected. I was talking last week to a church leader, very significant person with a, a very large ministry and remit. He's a sort of director for a ministry in several continents, numerous countries, really, really impressive. I mean, a wonderful ministry. And he was confessing to me that in this past season he, he actually used the words, let the walls down. 
let the drawbridge down, he said. The enemy came in to the castle. And we see this so often. People can be busy doing things for others, but they're neglecting to build the walls in front of their own house. And maybe that's a challenge for some of you here or some of you who are listening online. One of my favorite authors, a chap called Brennan Manning, a much-loved Catholic writer and teacher, going to be with the Lord now, he wrote one of my all-time favorite books. I've read it more than most other books that are out there. I think I've read Lord of the Rings more, actually. It's called Ragamuffin Gospel. And it just captures something of the heart of Jesus. And he was an amazing man who could talk very beautifully and powerfully about the grace of God. And yet, reading his autobiography at the end of his life, and I read it again a month or two ago, I was just saddened. Because as he went around building the walls for others, the wall in his own life was down. And uh, he ended up leaving the ministry. He slid into alcoholism. His wife, in the end, you know, she couldn't take it. I think she had 20 years with him and he left. And the amazing thing was he would get drunk from Sunday night to Thursday night. Blind, blistering, drunk, completely paralytic. He would often book into a, a motel and just be drunk. And then on a Friday, he'd pull himself together. He'd do, he'd do dozens and dozens of conferences a year. Fly somewhere on the Friday. Friday night, move peoples, bringing the Word of God. And he really, he was remarkable, Brennan Manning. Read him, watch him. But his own soul, I never knew until I read his autobiography. His own soul was in a, in a mess, gripped by that addiction. Listen, you've got to build the wall in front of your own house. Don't just go off doing ministry and getting stuck in elsewhere. Start with you. It starts in front of your own house. And what, as I said at the beginning, is God calling you to build up in your life? There's a Japanese proverb, why not? It says this, silent worms dig holes in walls. Silent worms dig holes in walls. I thought it was a powerful word this week when I read that. Have silent worms just wormed their way into the walls in your soul and brought them down in your mind, in your actions, your habits, your will, your heart, your affections. The walls come tumbling down. This is a season to work on you, the walls. Then sixthly, this is my last point before my final one. Sixthly, we need to give special attention to the vulnerable points. There were ten gates in the city mentioned in chapter 13, uh, in uh, Nehemiah 3. Why did I say 13? Because I misread what I'd written. Ten gates in chapter 3. And the gates are a permanent breach in the wall. The gates are that point of interface with society where there can be flow and come and go. And they're, they're, they were necessary in the city for trade and access uh, and people coming to worship and people coming in and going out and so on. But they are the places of vulnerability. Not further around where there are no gates because you're behind a thick wall. 
but there at that point of interface. And actually the history of the people of Israel is that it's at that place of interface where they ended up succumbing to the other surrounding cultures, especially in the area of sex and idolatry. And so we've got to be particularly careful at that place of interaction. It's easy to be spiritual and secure and going for God when we're here in church, but it's when we're living life out there where we're meant to be living life. We can't live in little religious cloisters. You've got to be in the world. You've got to be in it to win it. But you've got to win it. It mustn't win you. And it says that Verse 13, of the valley gate, they put its doors, bolts, and bars. Verse 15, the fountain gate, they put a roof on it, putting in its bolts and bars. Several times in this chapter it says bolts and bars. I really like that. It sort of, sort of impressed itself on me, the bolts and the bars. And we need to put strong, secure things in our soul, in our mind, in our habits, in our disciplines, in our daily prayer life. Put these firm things in, bolts and bars. Be stuck into the Word. Be stuck into worship. Be stuck into fellowship. Don't be going it on your own so that there is strength, so that when pressure might come, yeah, there they are, strong, secure. Doors, bolts, and bars. John Bunyan wrote, a fa- wrote the famous Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, you really should. He wrote another book. I, I, I prefer it more, I think. It's called The Holy War. And it's an allegory of the battle that the Christian believer faces against the world, the flesh, and the devil, always trying to mold the believer into their image. And in, in this, he basically has this sort of city or castle. There are five gates. And the five gates are the gate of the ear, the gate of the eye, the gate of the nose, the gate of the mouth and the gate of feeling. Interesting choice. But these are the places where there are gates where the gates can open up to the wrong influence. We've got to be in it to win it. We've got to be salt and light. We've got to be out there with the love and grace and mercy of God and the power of the Spirit and extend this. You can't extend the kingdom in a church the church is, is the meeting place for the marketplace. That's where we've got to be. But we've got to be careful of the gates in our own lives, that they've got to be barred and bolted. And finally, in conclusion, the walls can be repaired. They can be repaired in Jerusalem, as they were. I've walked all around them. I've walked on top of them. I mean, they've gone down several times over the centuries, but they're there. The walls can be rebuilt, and walls in your life can be rebuilt. This minister I was talking to last week saw it. He said, well, I was building the walls for others, but my own were down. But God, get, God's mercy met with him, and he's been restored, and he's been working on it, and he's produced some wonderful material to help others. In chapter 3, verse 11, we read about a guy here called Malchijah, son of Hiram, who repaired the tower of the ovens, which was the bakery. He repaired the bakery. And this is beautiful. Why? Because if you read in Ezra 10, verse 31, Malchijah, son of Hiram, is in a long list of shame. A list of those who under 
Ezra, who Ezra has recorded it, and under that leadership, says that they have been, quote, unfaithful to God, they married pagan women and gone after pagan idols, which was strictly forbidden, obviously, and they compounded Israel's guilt. So here is this guy, Malkijah, Malkijah, publicly named and shamed in Scripture in Ezra, but here we are a few years later, and he's at the wall, and he's getting noble recognition in this list of honor because he's building the walls, and he's building the walls of Jerusalem because he's obviously, I think one can infer, been building the walls in his own life. This is a season for building walls for us, in front of our house, in our church, in our society, community, society, and our country. We are going to be building walls to define us, to defend us, and to secure us to be the place where people can find blessing and where we can be built up and from which we can go and be a blessing. Amen.